Well, happy Monday, everyone, and thanks for joining us for our Week 12 recap episode on the Frary and Smith podcast. Week 12 in the Sun Belt saw Marshall become the fourth team to gain bowl eligibility, while four other teams find themselves on the precipice of doing the same. With Coastal Carolina's game canceled, all eyes turned to the Sun Belt West title race between South Alabama and Troy. Both teams won, setting up an exciting Week 13. App State, meanwhile, moved within a win of bowl eligibility. James Madison came from behind to down Georgia State and ended their chances at bowl eligibility. Texas State and Arkansas State was decided at the buzzer. Caden, it was another exciting week. What were your reactions to Week 12 in the Sun Belt? Well, my first reaction was not to toot my own horn, but every pick that I made was correct this week, so shout out to me for that one. But an exciting weekend, another weekend of some close finishes at the end, some great individual performances, and we see these teams now fighting for bowl eligibility, getting bowl eligibility. It's exciting times for the Sun Belt as we get to the remainder of the last finale, I guess you could say, of the regular season. And I think this was the great, like you said on Twitter, red zone to the end zone that is about to be the end of this Sunbelt season. Well, Caden, I got to admit, if this was around the horn, I would have pushed your button a couple times and given you some points for uh, getting all those picks right. So congratulations on that. Uh, Well, like we do every Monday, we'll start the episode with the Sunbelt scoreboard where we'll review all the results from around the conference in week 12. Then Caden and I will take an in-depth look at each of Saturday's matchups. First up, Louisiana went to number 19, Florida State. This game was never close. FSU, a 25-point favorite. They won 49-17. to Louisiana falls to 5-6. and six. They need to win this coming week to become bowl eligible. James Madison in Georgia State. This one was a roller coaster in Harrisonburg. JMU was a 10-point favorite. The final score, 42-40. to Georgia State had 19 points on defense, but they would not, they were not able to pull off the victory. Chris Thornton had a big day for James Madison, and that was a big reason why they won 42-40. The Dukes 7-3 in their first season in the FBS. Georgia State falls to 4-7 and in their hopes of a second straight run to bowl eligibility at the end of the year now over. Southern Miss, South Alabama, and Hattiesburg. South Alabama was a 7.5-point favorite. Southern Miss led for most of this game, but it was Carter Bradley who looked like Superman in that fourth quarter. A couple of big touchdown drives in South Alabama coming from behind to keep them in that West title race. Southern Miss sitting at five and six now on the year. They need to win this coming week to become bowl eligible. South Alabama sitting at nine and two, already bowl eligible, but thinking about a West title. App State, Old Dominion. Caden, you'll like this one on Senior Day. App State winning for the 24th time in the last 25 years on Senior Day. That's a pretty solid record. Uh, This one was a little bit of a bad beat. App State, a 16-point favorite. They led by a lot in this game before Old Dominion hung 14 on them in the fourth quarter. Uh, But App State still hangs on to win. They're 6-5. and They need to beat Georgia Southern to get into a bowl game. They've never missed a bowl game, so keep an eye on that this coming week. Old Dominion falls to 3-8. and Troy, ULM. Troy was a 15-point favorite. They cover the spread in this game, 34-16. A dominant running performance for the Trojans. Vidal went for 200-plus yards. He was just two yards off the program record. Troy improves to 9-2. and two. They win next week. They're the West title, and then they await to figure out who they will play or more so where they will play next week uh, in that championship game. Um, ULM falls to 4-7. and seven. Their brief, narrow shot at getting to a bowl game is now over. Texas State, Arkansas State. Caden, if you remember back to Friday, I told you the kickers might play a role in this one. They certainly did. Uh, Texas State would win 16-13 to at the buzzer on a Seth Keller field goal. There was three field goals in the final three minutes of this game, uh, but Texas State finally wins a close game. They were back at home. 
Uh, Texas State improves to four and seven. Arkansas State to three and eight on the year. Georgia Southern Marshall. This one was a good one in Statesboro. The herd came in a six point favorite. They covered 23 10 the score. They set up a matchup now where either them or App State are going to a bowl game next weekend. Uh, but one of those teams will go home. Georgia Southern at five and six, and Marshall now seven and four. They become the fourth Sun Belt team to become bowl eligible. And lastly, as we mentioned, Coastal Carolina, Virginia canceled due to the unfortunate events in Charlottesville, Virginia earlier in the week. Marshall was the only team to secure bowl eligibility in week 12. Troy, South Alabama, and Coastal are also bowl eligible. Georgia State and ULM officially eliminated from bowl contention with losses. Louisiana, App State, Georgia Southern, and Southern Miss need to win in week 13 to become bowl eligible. After 12 weeks, Coastal Carolina leads the East, while Troy continues to lead the West. Caden, what a week it was in Week 12. Another week of non-disappointment. This conference always brings it week in and week out, and we can't wait to get into and talk about some of these games and individual performances we saw. Well, let's not waste any time, Caden. We'll start by talking about probably one of the sloppier games in the weekend, but it was also the highest scoring game. James Madison versus Georgia State. The final score, 42-40. to GSU led at the half, 34-14. to JMU, much like they did to App State earlier this year. Sorry to bring that up again, Caden, but JMU scores 28 unanswered points in the second half to win. They now have seven or six wins over FBS schools this season. They had six in their previous 50 seasons. What a year it has been in Harrisonburg for the Dukes. But again, I think I've got my first point here labeled as sloppy Dukes in this one. Uh, JMU had multiple turnovers in the opening half. They fumbled the ball seven times in this game. They lost four of them to Georgia State. We saw a total of eight fumbles in this game. Caden, both teams were a little sloppy. Yeah, it was a tale of two halves and it was a tale of the turnovers. I think you look at the first half for Georgia State, they dominated with their defense. They had those two fumble recoveries that weren't just recovered, they were returned for touchdowns. They scored on two of them, which is something that's rare to see. Then they had one on a kickoff that led to three points. And then Jamari Thrash takes a 75-yard end around. And next thing you know, Georgia State's up at half, 34-14. to 14. But I feel like you and me both know from that App State game and just from the DNA of this JMU team, we personally never really felt like this lead was too, too safe, especially with Todd at the helm, and he proved that pulling off that comeback. It was a great day for him, and just really a culmination of great offense and defense at work in that comeback. Centeo would throw for four more touchdowns. He's pretty much locked up the Offensive Player of the Year award in my mind after coming back from injury. He's looked great down the stretch. Uh, Here's something I was personally really excited to see in this game. Chris Thornton had a touchdown, and not only did he have one, he had two It was his first touchdown since week two. He had five touchdown catches in the first two games of the year, but none since. Moved into second place at JMU with 23 touchdowns in his career. Needs two now to tie Macy Brooks for the program career record. Big day for Thornton, and I was excited to see that. Now he has a chance against Coastal Carolina to tie the program record. And of course, he breaks the curse of being on this podcast in a great way, getting two touchdowns, not just one. So shout out to him in that. But no, him and Todd look like they had that connection back from early in the season that we saw. He hit him in the back of the end zone in a great ball. Just had, did a great job of getting open and getting in the zone coverage, whether it was the zone looks that Georgia State was giving them, getting those open spots for Todd, for Todd and then in his man looks doing what he does best and taking the top off and getting open. So you saw him have a great day. Percy A.J. Obese, Todd, when you have those three, that three-headed monster just cooking and everyone kind of doing their part and playing their part, this James Madison offense is a very hard one to stop. Caden, my favorite tweet of the weekend came from podcast supervan Steve Brown up at James Madison. He said that we can now breathe easy that uh, Chris Thornton has had another touchdown in this season. Uh, I want to talk about Georgia State. Their defense did a really nice job, as we mentioned, of scoring points, responsible for 19 points, GSU 
they had nine TFLs, three sacks, also recorded two fumbles in the game. Uh, that was a really big performance for Georgia State's defense, but ultimately they did just give up too many points. Yeah, and it was just amazing to watch in the first half. It was really a defensive player's paradise. You were watching everybody get their hands on the ball, big men scoring touchdowns and returning them, forcing turnovers. It was really great for them in the beginning to watch them play so explosively. I know middle linebacker Jordan Vesvedal was all over the place as well, but I think ultimately they almost leaned on their defense too much in the first half just because their offense all of a sudden couldn't get their rhythm going in the second half because the defense was doing so much for them in the first and their defense just couldn't live up to that defense that played in the first half that was causing turnovers left and right and maybe playing so good that it was unrealistic. Once they had to really line up and sustain drives against Todd when he wasn't turning the ball over, we saw that it kind of got the best of them. So kudos to them for their amazing first half, but they just feel like they gave themselves too tough of an act to follow as far as the second half performance. It was also a very, very, very quiet rushing day for Georgia State. They rushed for under 100 yards. But, Caden, this game, ultimately, it feels like it was decided on third down. JMU's offense was 9 for 14 on third down. GSU just went 3 for 13 on third down. Uh, Georgia State really struggled to convert, and part of that was their running game had them constantly behind the sticks in this game. Yeah, and we talked about it going into this one, who was going to win between that Georgia State rushing attack and that JMU rush-stopping defense because both have been very successful all year, and JMU got the best of them in this one. I think in the second half, you saw those guys really lock in, play really gap-sound ball, and I think I'm going to, you know I'm always going to give some love to the defense, but when you look at this 28-0 scoring run, scoring swing, whatever you want to call it, we're obviously going to talk about those 28 points a ton, but you have to credit James Madison for those zero points. If you look at their drives, three and out, three and out, all in negative yardage, three, three and outs to start off the half. Then they get a fumble recovery. Then they get three more three and outs. Then like it's it was it was an amazing game for them. They were stopping Georgia State left and right. They only had one drive, I feel like, or two drives that led in positive yardage. So you have to just look at the second half performance of James Madison being able to get their offense the ball back so frequently and so fast on all of those three and outs. Got to give kudos to them on that side as well. Well, it's certainly been a magical season in Harrisonburg. I'm sure it's helped recruiting, and I would expect James Madison to be a threat next year in the league. Uh, let's go through a couple scenarios, Caden. JMU can win the Sun Belt East with a win over Coastal Carolina. That would create a lot of chaos, but the Dukes, they're not eligible for a bowl. They can't play for the conference title due to NCAA rules relating to transitioning, but JMU still a lot to play for in that final game, and they could create a lot of chaos in the Sun Belt with a win. Yeah, I think we talked to Chris Thornton, obviously, in the year before, and they know they're not playing for a championship. They know that they're not playing for a bowl game, but that doesn't take away from how they want to play and how they want to put a good performance on, really go for that people's championship that they're not really going to necessarily be able to hold up at the end of the year. But they'll know and they'll know their opponents know that they were really the ones that ended the season on top as far as the East goes. So excited for them to close out this season and cause some havoc. James Madison, they're going to host Coastal Carolina, who Caden might have been helped a little bit this weekend by not playing with UCF and some other teams losing. Coastal Carolina, suddenly the second highest ranked uh, group of five team in the country currently. Um, and there's an outside chance for them to get into a New Year's Six Bowl game. Georgia State, meanwhile, they will wrap up the season at Marshall. Let's move on. Southern Miss versus South Alabama. The Jags coming from behind to win this one 27 to 20. South Alabama trailed 17 to 13 with one minute left in the third quarter, but they would explode for two touchdowns in the final quarter. Carter Bradley, a big reason for that. And Caden, we wanted him to build on his strong performance from last week where he threw four touchdowns in 274. He did just that with his eighth 200 plus yard game of the year, threw for 238 and three touchdowns. He had two fourth quarter touchdown drives. They were all big play touchdowns. 
he really stepped up when his team needed it. He did, and you have to give credit for the nasty bunch for making it very hard on him to start off the game. He had two interceptions in the first half, didn't really look his self, kind of got some things going towards the end, but then he came up when it mattered most. Even if you look at him against this defense, really didn't even get things going in the third quarter either, held them, um, held him out the end zone individually. And I think last two drives of the game, Carter Bradley gets his number called upon, and he makes things happen and has that two-touchdown swing that ultimately wins this game for them. So you have to credit for him. He didn't have the strongest start to the game. It's kind of similar to Todd Santeo. Didn't have the strongest start of the game. But then when it came to crunch time at the end of the game, he came up too big for them. And that was ultimately the difference in this game. Well, Damian Webb didn't play, but Braylon McReynolds had a big day. Rushed it 15 times for 100 yards. Didn't get into the end zone. But South Alabama still rushed for 154 yards on 35 carries in Webb's absence. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about South Alabama. They did a nice job of slowing down Southern Miss's run game. Southern Miss runs for just 38 yards in that first half. Uh, They did allow 64 yards in the second half, but ultimately South Alabama, they surrendered 100 yards on the ground for just the fourth time in 11 games. It was 102, but they did a pretty nice job of slowing down Southern Miss on the ground, Caden. They did, and Southern Miss started off actually pretty great in the, on the ground to start off the game. We were texting about it before, how they kind of got some things going and some momentum going as far as some explosive run plays, but they limited that, and then they also just had limited, limited big plays. I think you look at Trey Lowe in this when we talked about a key to this game being him getting the ball in the end zone, and he just wasn't been able to wasn't able to do that because South Alabama was playing so well up front and on the back end. He obviously has a nice connection with Brownlee, and they had some things going, and Frank Gore Jr. was the only one that ended up throwing a touchdown pass in this game, which is usually a good sign if you're a defense, if you have some trickeration that's kind of necessary to get by you. But you talked about it too as well. Great day for McReynolds, the freshman running back. I liked what I saw out of him a lot. I had in my notes, Nola Damian Webb, no problem. He had 100 yards on his 15 carries. He's a smaller back. 5'8", 180, but he has some juice to his game. He's very shifty, was making some people miss. I know in the first half he had the epitome of an ankle breaker, just breaking down one of the defenders from Southern Miss, and three catches out the backfield as well for 66 yards. I think the future's very bright for him as far as a dual threat kind of running back that they could use in the future. Man, Caden, how many running backs are in that running back room at South Alabama? There seems to be another guy each week that can step up and have big games, so that's a really deep running back room, maybe one of the deepest in the conference. Uh, Caden, you mentioned Frank Gore threw that touchdown, 29 yards to Brownlee, the only passing touchdown for Southern Miss. Low finished 18 for 133. Um, you know, but let's talk about that nasty bunch. They did record just four TFLs in this game. They had 11 last week. They had two sacks, three QB hits, uh, but they did force two interceptions in a forced fumble in this game. Uh, they gave up 411 yards of total offense for just the sixth time this season. Caden, what was your report card on their performance in this contest? They played as well as they can. We talked about it in this matchup. I thought there was some fatigue up front for this defensive unit, and they were just kind of carrying this team throughout the season and not really having to rely on their offense to do much, but there was a lot more on their plate. And I think to start off this game, saw some great stops for them early, got off of the field. I think they they bookended the game with keeping or the, the half, the first half per se. First drive, they stopped, great fourth down stop, get a field goal, and the half, same thing, great fourth down stop, get a field goal. They did their best to limit this offense, and they did a great job of it in the first half. But I think ultimately, we'll talk about the talent on the other side of the ball for South Alabama. That just kind of caught up to them. Carter Bradley stepped up to the occasion and stole this game. But you have to give credit to their defense because they really gave Southern Miss the opportunity to stay in this game for a long time and give their offense the opportunity to steal this game. But unfortunately, South Alabama's offense was just the one that ended up stealing it at the end because they were a little bit more explosive on that side of the ball. But if I'm a Southern Miss defender, can't really hang my hat on this one. You played well, you did what you could, and you stopped the bleeding for as long as you could before it just kind of got overwhelming at the end, and Carter Bradley took over. 
So here's the scenarios for both teams as we look ahead to Week 13. South Alabama, they're bowl eligible, but they need Troy to lose, and they need to win next week to be the West Division champions. If they both win, Troy's the champion by way of the tiebreaker after the 10-6 win in Mobile earlier this year. Southern Miss, Caden, they needed to beat ULM to become bowl eligible. Uh, How big would that be if Southern Miss can get into a bowl game down in Hattiesburg? It's huge for them. It's been an up and down season for them. I know there were moments where it looked like this team had no chance of being in the bowl. There was moments where they had some the three game win streak where it looked like they were going to roll into it. But they had their back and forth. I feel like they had three wins in a row, three losses in a row. And now being in the position to still win that bowl game is really a testament to taking care of some early business in the beginning of the season. So I think it'd be huge for this program coming into a new conference, having a great opportunity to make a bowl game and really make some noise in their first year in the Sun Belt. Give Will Hall a lot of credit, too. He talked about after the game how you know, much improved this Southern Miss team is that now they are competing with some of the best teams in the league. So certainly they're a team to look out for not only down the stretch of this season, but into next year and and into the future. Uh, Southern Miss will travel to ULM in week 13. South Alabama hosts Old Dominion. So you like their chances at winning. Uh, Georgia Southern versus Marshall Caden. This game uh, went to Marshall 23-10 down in Statesboro. Marshall became bowl eligible for the sixth consecutive year. Marshall led 20-10 to 10 at the half, only three second-half points in this game. Cam Fancher had another big performance, and Caden Fancher really got the better of Van Trees. It's crazy to think that we're saying that uh, here in Week 12, but Fancher uh, completed 17 balls on 32 opportunities, threw for 274, responsible for three touchdowns, two passing, one rushing. Meanwhile, Van Trees threw for just 205, his fewest since Week 8 when he had 192 at Old Dominion. Uh, finished with one touchdown and an interception. Caden, what'd you think of the quarterback play in this matchup? Yeah, you have to give your props to Fancher. I mean, another week of improvement. And you look at him, he was just a smart decision maker in the run and the pass game. He didn't turn the ball over, got in the end zone with his legs and with his arm twice. And we talked about him scoring in the red zone. He even had a red zone touchdown that was called back that he threw, ended up leading in a field goal because there was a penalty on the offensive line. So he played his part for this one for sure. And it's awesome to watch him evolve and just turn into a really an explosive and dynamic playmaker for this team. I mean, he threw deep 60-yard touchdown passes when he scored, when his number was called. It was a quarterback draw play. He's very dynamic, and he's having a very Granger-esque evolution, I feel like, during this season that's been great to watch. But then on the other side of the ball, talk about Ventrice. Didn't have his best day, second-worst yardage day since that Old Dominion game we were talking about. And the difference in that Old Dominion game was that the run game was going and the run game was scoring. We saw a good day out of the backfield for Georgia Southern out of white, but they just couldn't get the ball in the end zone. And that's more of a credit, I think, to that Marshall defense that's just really established themselves as not the best defense, the hottest one right now as far as keeping teams out of the end zone. They kept everything in front of them. They didn't let anything get behind them. And they really got pressure on Van Trees like we've never seen before and just did a great job of tackling and breaking on the ball. So kudos to that Marshall team. I think obviously has something to do with Van Trees and that offense not being as explosive the past two weeks, but they went against two really good defenses and this Marshall one being probably one of the best in the conference. Hey, both teams had really good ground days. Marshall ran for 255. Kalen Laybourne uh, ran for 70. But, Caden, we have been waiting all year long to say this name. Rasheen Ali has played a football game for Marshall this year. He returns throw or runs for 79 yards, him and Laybourne combining for 149. Georgia Southern, and you briefly mentioned it a moment ago, they got a good performance out of Jalen White, who responded after just 28 yards last week with 143 this week. He did fail to get into the end zone for the second game in a row, but both teams' run games look pretty solid in this performance. They did. It was great to see Rasheen Ali back there really spearheading like a little three-headed monster that they had between him, Laybourne, and Fancher, who all, all got over 60 yards in this game and really carried the lion's share of that running game. But 
for other defenses going forward, it's going to be very scary to see a fresh, healthy Rasheen Ali to close out the season. That's going to be a huge plus for them. But yeah, you talked about it on the other side with Georgia Southern's rushing attack. They got things going with White this week, but Marshall just is not letting people get in the end zone right now. You have to credit them and give kudos to them for that and their run-stopping ability. But even if you're looking at Georgia Southern's defense in this game, this is one of their better performances. I mean, if you talk to me in the beginning of the season, if they're holding teams to just 23 points, you'd assume that their offense would be able to outscore them. So it's really kind of just interesting to watch the ebbs and flows of this Georgia Southern team as we get down the stretch, looking at who they can lean on and who they can't lean on. Because obviously all season, it was lean on the offense, lean on the offense. But with two weeks of struggles, maybe some defensive players, maybe some of these running backs and some other guys are going to have to take some of the bulk if they want to win this last game and get into a bowl. Okay, and here's my conspiracy theory a little bit. Ali comes back, and now they he played this week. He'll play next week probably, and then now a bowl game. That's three games. The threshold for a redshirt is four, so it made a lot of sense that he came back right now. So expect a redshirt out of Ali, and then it comes down to uh, will he be playing next year in Huntington? That one is still up in the air, but good to see him back out on the field, and now that makes Marshall's offense a lot more dangerous. Caden, and it was partially because of the running performance, but Marshall dominated possession in this game. They held the ball for 37 minutes. Georgia Southern had it for just 23. Marshall ran it for 54. Here's what was most impressive. Marshall got the football back with 11 minutes left in this game, and then they would hold the football for the final 10 minutes and 49 seconds, an 18-play, 75-yard drive. That's the way to close if you're Marshall. And that's a credit also to those boys up front. I mean, watching those drives happen and being on the field for those drives, I can tell you firsthand if you're a defensive player, third down conversion after third down conversion, you're not enjoying it. That just means the other team's probably getting up in your grill, getting up in your mustache and wanting it more than you and pushing you back. So you have to give credit to those guys up front for sustaining that drive. And Marshall just found their recipe in this one. I think they got up early, and I think a Marshall team that can get up early in games has this ability to close things out with their run game. They got a lion's share of their rushing attack and run yards at the end of this game. Weren't really trying to do anything explosive once they got their lead. They were really just trying to protect it, knowing their defense wasn't going to give anything up, and their offense could just consistently keep the chains moving. Okay, and I did really feel like in this game that big plays were the story. Teams combined for 30 big plays, and how I categorize that are runs and passes over 15 yards. Uh, Each touchdown came on a big play of greater than 19 yards. Really, both teams uh, couldn't stop each other on, on certain plays. Yeah, the explosives hit big for some of these for both of these teams in this matchup. And I think when you look at Georgia Southern's only touchdown of the day, it was an explosive, just great play call for the situation. Marshall sends an all out blitz. They run the screen to Caleb Hood. And it was as soon as he caught the ball, I knew it was a touchdown even behind the scrimmage. So credit to Georgia Southern for getting that one explosive playoff that led to points. But also credit for Marshall for taking advantage of theirs a little bit more and holding them just a little bit less as far as what ended up being the end result of this game. Really, I think if you take the explosive plays out of it, maybe it's closer game maybe you see southern get some more fight out of them maybe the field position battle changes a little bit so credit to marshall's defense again for limiting the explosive plays turning into touchdowns versus on the other side of the ball georgia southern not really being able to keep marshall out the end zone on their explosive plays marshall did pick up an interception their 15th of the year we told you that this matchup looked like it was prime for an interception or two they did get one uh they're now second in the sun belt with 15 interceptions southern miss had the two interceptions to move in front at 16 Uh, Georgia Southern going to host App State at the end of the year. One of those teams will not be bowl eligible. I don't think we would have thought that probably five weeks ago, but uh, both teams with a lot to play for in week 13. Meanwhile, Marshall's going to host a Georgia State team that has nothing to play for. Uh, The Thundering Herd, look for them to have another big game next week. Well, Caden, let's move on to a game that created a lot of excitement. It wasn't a game that 
I think either any one in the Sun Belt was overly excited for. It wasn't going to be a great game, but it ended up being a sneaky good game this weekend, and that was Texas State versus Arkansas State. Final score 16-13. to Texas State wins, snapping a four-game losing streak. They improved to 4-1 at home. Uh, A-State transfer Lincoln Perry had a touchdown with 12.25 to go to make it 10-10, and then, Caden, we saw a dueling battle of the kickers. Down the stretch, we saw three field goals in the final three minutes and 17 seconds of this game. If you think back to what I said on Friday's episode, I mentioned Dominic Zavada, uh, but it ended up being Seth Keller who had the game-winning field goal with two seconds left. Uh, And he got some redemption after missing a game-winning field goal earlier this year versus ULM. Uh, And, you know, some neat things for Keller, too. He's now one away from the school record in career field goals made. But the kickers really came up big. And so when that happens, Caden, we have to give him some love on this pod. For sure, you have to give credit in this game. It was a defensive slugfest. We saw very great defensive play on both sides of the ball. But at the end of the day, it came down to which quarterbacks could get their kickers in the field goal range to get those important points at the end of the game. And we saw it. And you have to credit both quarterbacks, James Blackman, even giving an amazing response during a a game being down, had a fourth and nine conversion, 31 yards across the middle, gets the ball to his kicker with 30 seconds left. He makes it. But then who would have thought? 24 seconds, no timeouts, too much time for Lane Hatcher. Back-to-back, 21-yard completions, gets the and one, I would call it, because he gets the the last 21-yard completion off, gets a roughing the passer call, add 15 yards to it, and then that's how Seth Keller hits his walk-off nine-yarder. Just an amazing finish in this game, and I know if you want to watch the highlights of the game or anything like that, the first three quarters probably won't intrigue you guys unless you're a defensive football guy like me, but the end of this game was an amazing finish, and you have to give credit to both teams for showing that fight, and Texas State ultimately getting that win in San Marcos, like we talked about, a special place where they play quite well this year. Yeah, it takes a special type of person to enjoy the first three quarters of this football game, but if you want to watch some action, the fourth quarter definitely brought it. Uh, Caden, Texas State finally wins a tight game. They had lost three of their last four games by less than six points. Uh, The three-point win this year was their smallest margin of victory, so good for them to finally get over that hump and pick up a tight win. Uh, Kane, you mentioned it a moment ago. This was a defensive day. Texas State held Arkansas State to just 133 yards of total offense in the second half. They allowed only 54 yards on the ground in the game. Uh, They would finish with eight TFLs in a sack. I really felt like both teams' defense played well, but Texas State's played a little bit better. Yeah, you have to just credit both defenses. This was a clean slugfest. There was very few penalties in this game, just three total in this game. There was no turnovers. It was just straight up defenses being stingy, not giving up yards and not giving up points even more than that. So you have to give credit to both of them for really thugging this one out and playing as hard as they can. Malik Straker on the other side of the ball for Arkansas State's defense had an amazing day and the Texas State defense top to bottom just had a great day as far as defending the pass and the run. I think that's what ultimately led to them winning this one just because their run game got a little bit more going versus the Arkansas State rushing attack that was only held to 54 yards. So credit to those guys at Texas State. They definitely subject to the case and play just a little bit better defense to set up their team just a little bit better at the end. Caden, I'm not advocating for this because I don't want to see a lot of chaos next week in week 13, but Texas State and Arkansas State, they both really have nothing to play for other than the fact of trying to ruin some seasons for some other teams. Texas State has a chance to keep Louisiana out of a bowl game and Arkansas State, if they could somehow beat Troy at home uh, and South Alabama won, uh, South Alabama would actually win the title. So These two teams, not much to play for next week other than the fact that they could be home wreckers in the West. So certainly uh, keep an eye out on that as we move into week 13. Well, Caden, let's talk about them boys from Boone. App State, Old Dominion, and App State picks up a win on senior day at home, uh, 27-14. It was actually the 24th 
win on senior day in the last 25 years. So if you're a team that sees your name on senior day, expect a loss if you're heading to Boone. Uh, App State led 27-0 after three quarters, but Old Dominion uh, scored 14 in the fourth quarter to cover the spread in this game. It wouldn't surprise me if this is on Scott Van Pelt's bad beat section uh, this weekend, but um, it set the sing- or App State set the single season attendance record in the Sun Belt, a record that they owned uh, about 33,500 fans, the average attendance at the seven home games. Uh, Caden, I think the biggest thing that I didn't like to see in this game was we did see yet another injury for Old Dominion, and it was Jason Henderson who went down. He had to be helped off the field. You hate to see that after the uh, big year he's been having. But, Caden, I wanted to ask you, you played in a lot of senior games at App State. Why do y'all have so much success on senior day? Uh, One quick note, too, that I thought was uh, neat in this contest. Chase Bryce actually was named a captain before this game, but he actually gave up that spot to uh, tight end Henry Pearson. Caden, I wanted you to talk a little bit about Pearson's impact over the last couple of seasons. Yeah, man, a lot to unpack there. First of all, prayers for Jason Henderson. Obviously, he's a friend of the podcast, and we hate to see any player go down. And it's just been a rough year for injuries for Old Dominion. So hope that their players over there can turn some things around and have a, a great offseason of, of rehab and get back on the field as soon as possible. But senior night's definitely a special thing at App State. And I think it's particularly special just because it's a player-led team and a player-led program. So once you have those seniors who come through the ranks and come into their own their senior year, there's just a little bit more importance and a little bit more specialness to as far as maybe not all the guys that you're used to seeing making the plays, but some of the guys who are just in the locker room, maybe behind the scenes, even as seniors who make a big impact and lead by example and lead in other ways. So it's always been a player led team. And I think a lot of those player led teams come from senior leadership. And you see that in examples of like what Trace Bryce did, giving Henry Pearson his spot as a captain. That's something that happened to me even when I was injured. Caleb Sperling gave me his spot when I came back my first game from injury. Just being a captain and being a senior at App State is a special thing. And it's something that is coveted. So when you are in a position to do things like that, you see it happen a lot. So Henry's a great player. Chase is a great player but both great guys, and I was happy to definitely see them get this win and have that moment in this senior night in their last game of app. Okay, and I want to talk about Chase Bryce's big season. He tied his career high with 27 passing touchdowns this year. He also tied his career high with 31 total touchdowns, 27 through the air, four on the ground. He's had a little bit fewer pass yards this year. Uh, They're probably not going to play in the same quantity of games that we saw last year because they won't play in the conference title game, but Caden, where Chase has been really good this year, when you look at his yards per game average, it is actually better than last season. Uh, Chase Bryce has saved his best year for last, and and he's had a really good year. He's been a, a, a substantial piece for this App State offense. Oh, and the most important piece, I think if you look at Chase coming back to this defense, if you could have, or this offense, if you could have picked any player to come back, you definitely would have picked Chase as far as what his leadership does and what his play does. And I think I said it in the beginning of the year, and despite App State going five and five this year and not having necessarily the um or six and five now, the expectations that they were supposed to meet personally and internally for them, I still think this is the most comfortable Chase has looked in his whole career. And I think it has credit to Kevin Barbet and that offense that might, didn't go their way. They were playing from behind a lot. And they were allowed, allowed to make a lot of things work in those situations. But I think this game and some of the games earlier in the season really showed the best work of this duo of an offensive coordinator and a quarterback being on the same page and how it looks executing at a high level. So got to give credit to both of those guys for having trust in each other and Chase for trusting his weapons because he spread the ball around a lot and hit a lot of different people in this game and really show what he can do and why he should be regarded as one of the better quarterbacks in this conference. Caden, I think Kevin Barbet was listening to the podcast last week because we have been talking about App State finding this happy medium between the run and the pass game, and I really felt like they found that in this game. It was a great mix. Bryce had some big plays, 291 through the air. They ran for 207 on the ground. 
Caden, if you could script offensively how App State looked in a game, this would be the model for App State moving forward. Definitely. You look at how they opened it up on the fir- very first play of the game, 57-yard strike to Caden Robinson. That would just set the tone going forward in this game. Ever since that play and multiple other deep balls, Christian Wells had a deep ball over the top. Caden Robinson was found again for a deep ball over the top. The Old Dominion defense had to back up and worry about that. And then that's when you see the run game open up. They didn't run the ball as strongly in the beginning of the game as they did in the end, but kind of similar to the Marshall game, they didn't really have to. In the beginning of this game, they were so explosive with the passing attack. They used some creativity, got a jet sweep with Caden Robinson too, using Imani Marshall, another weapon we don't haven't seen as much this year. Really started to open things up, see some creativity. And then when it was time to run the ball, they ran the ball well. So kudos to Kevin Barbe for listening to the podcast possibly, but switching some things up for their offense and really showing what the peak form of this offense can look like and giving some promise as far as finishing the year strong. Hey, let's be clear to the people who listen to this. We don't have enough sway to actually change how App plays offensively as much as we'd like to think maybe we do. But uh, Kane defensively, App State had a nice day. uh, And really, Stephen Jones had a huge day on senior day. Six press breakups in this game. They App State's defense held Old Dominion to just 86 yards on the ground. Aiden Wolf did throw for 308 and two touchdowns. And Kane, we talked, if you remember back to Friday's episode about seeing Javon Harvey step up, he did just that with 133 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, talk about App State's performance on defense. I know you that uh, you're uniquely qualified to do that. Yeah, it was a good day for those guys. I think that when you look at what they're up going up against as far as personnel, it was very hard for them to really lose this game on their side of the ball. I think Old Dominion's offense has just been so stagnant in the last couple of weeks that it would have been a very interesting turnaround to see them all of a sudden wake up and play a great offense. But it was good for the defensive side of the ball for App State to be able to prove that they can keep some points off of the board. I think they do have some things to still work on. I mean, 7 for 14 on third down isn't great. Hayden Wolf, like we mentioned, second 300-yard day of the year. Some of that has to do with them playing from behind and being able to throw the ball a little bit more. But you would like to see some of those explosive plays get cleaned up. Even early in the game, you were seeing guys like Javon Harvey and other receivers getting open. I think every receiver, I feel like, had a 20, 30-yard play down the field. Thankfully, App State played great. Ben don't break defense in the red zone and limited once those explosive plays happened, limited the offensive flow. But I think going forward, especially playing a Georgia Southern team next week, they're going to have to do a great job of limiting those explosive plays. But top to bottom, they were playing from ahead and it's not an easy situation to be in as a defense. So that's maybe why you see some of those stats at the end. But credit to Stephen Jones, credit to those guys up front playing well as well in this game. And hopefully, like I said before, using some of this momentum heading into the finale of their season. A last thing up in this matchup, uh, and it has to do with bowl eligibility, and that's App State. Uh, They've not missed a bowl since transitioning to the FBS in 2014, but they are in a must-win situation uh, in the final week of the year. They do hold the longest active bowl streak in the Sun Belt. They need to gain seven wins this year because of having two FCS wins on their schedule. Uh, They're going to travel to Georgia Southern in Week 13. Old Dominion travels to South Alabama, so Definitely that App State Georgia Southern game, one to keep an eye on. One of those teams is going bowling. The other one's going to see their season come to a close. Uh, Kane, we'll move on. Troy versus ULM. Uh, Troy largely handled business in this game. Uh, they did cover the spread 34 16. Carlton Marshall didn't play in this contest after having 22 tackles last week. The Trojans would lead 20 3 at the half, avenging last year's loss to ULM. Uh, They ran for a season-high 264 yards. They picked up their eighth straight win, which is the fifth-longest active streak in the country. Kane, this was their first double-digit win since October 8th versus Southern Miss. So Troy answered a lot of questions offensively in this game. 
Yeah, it was funny. I said this was the most confident one I was in when we were talking about betting this game and making our picks and we're asking ourselves, has Troy ever won a game by this margin? But here they are proving us wrong again. But I have to give credit to this one to Kamani Vidal. I mean, he was clearly the X factor in this game with his 242 yards and two touchdowns on the ground. We talked about them getting maybe that's maybe that's where our formula meets if they get 100 yards they're going to win but if they get 200 this is how they win maybe this is how this Troy offense looks and how this team looks if they can run the ball very effectively but I think on the flip side of this one 78 yards of passing has to be a level of concern I think we've been concerned about the stagnant offense and the passing attack that we've seen from this Troy team and how their defense has been reliant on carrying this team but 78 yards is just an all-time low Tess Johnson not really getting utilized only four receivers getting the hands on the ball definitely still something to worry about a little bit in the back of your head going forward with this Troy offense but hard to deny the record and hard to deny what they keep doing week in and week out the 242 yards of Ivy Dahl were just two off the program record held by Eddie Brundage in 1986 so if I'm the offensive coordinator, I was finding a way to get Vidal one more carry there uh, to get over that record, but uh, he falls two yards short. Caden, greatness gets boring, and that's a great way to describe Troy's defense right now. They have another strong performance in this one, holding ULM to just 83 yards on the ground. Rodgers, who we've talked about at length on this podcast, has been, been one of the best quarterbacks in the league uh, this season. He threw for just 145 yards, which was his fewest since when he faced Arkansas State in Week 5. Uh, Caden, this was the fourth time this season that Troy had five-plus sacks. They did it all without Carlton Marshall. Uh, this defense, you know, I'm running out of ways to describe it. It's just the the epitome of a step-up-to-the-occasion defense. I think if you look at this game and you talk about their matchup against Chandler Rogers, they really made him put his Superman cape on and beat this team because they pretty much took every receiver out of this game. He had to throw it to nine different targets just to get 145 yards. I mean, nobody caught the ball more than three times for this team. And then when you look at their touchdowns, they're only Chandler Rogers rushes. He had to run them in himself and get some things going. So I think Troy took everybody else out of this game, and they tried their best to take Chandler Rogers out of the game. Didn't have Carlton Marshall. It looked like it didn't matter for these guys. They were flying around they lived in the backfield they were making plays on every ball that was in the air and you have to give credit for them for week in and week out just doing this to every single team they play at this point well Troy will head into week 13 Caden with a lot to play for Troy needs to win at Arkansas State or look for a South Alabama loss a win for both programs would give Troy the West Division title by way of the head-to-head tiebreaker so the Trojans in the driver's seats right now to win the West And then they have to wait and see how the JMU Coastal game goes to determine if they have a shot at hosting uh, the Sunbelt Championship game. Right now, Coastal's kind of the odds-on favorite to host, but things could get crazy in Week 13. So uh, we'll see how that goes. Troy will travel to Arkansas State, um, and you have to feel like that is probably looking for a win. But like I said, you could see some chaos. ULM is going to host Southern Miss uh, in Week 13. Kane, well, we had one more game on the schedule. I'm not even going to really ask you to respond much on this because there isn't a ton to talk about, but uh, Louisiana went to number 19, Florida State. They fell 49-17. They trailed 35-3 at the half. They did outscore FSU in the fourth quarter against some of the substitutes, 14-0, but they gave up 251 yards on the ground to Florida State. Jordan Travis was responsible for three touchdowns. I think the biggest story in this one, and it could affect the rest of the year, and Caden, I'll have you respond on this in a moment, but Ben Wooldridge was out. Wooldridge ruled out for the season now. Fields was 19 for 36 for 159 yards in a touchdown. How big will that absence be for Louisiana say that they can win next week and maybe get into a bowl game? 
It'll be huge. I mean, it's been an emotional emotional roller coaster for this Louisiana team throughout the season. If you just look at the quarterback position, I mean, it was such a back and forth position at the beginning of the year. Saw some success, saw some bad things. And then I think they finally found their guy in Ben Wooldridge. And even if they weren't necessarily winning every single game with him at the helm, they the games they were winning were a lot because of him. And then he was having them very competitive in their other games. And it seems like they had a lot of trust in him. So that is going to be a tough loss for them as far as momentum goes. But Chandler Fields has proven he can do some good things too. But I think Ben Wooldridge definitely is established himself as that guy in that locker room and that guy for this offense. So it's going to be interesting to watch how Louisiana closes the season out under a new quarterback. Last thing to talk about, bowl eligibility on the line in week 13 for Louisiana. They're going to need to win at Texas State, a place that's proven tough for opponents to win. I mean, just ask App State earlier this year, but um, they need to win to become bowl eligible. They have been to a bowl game in four straight seasons. The last time they missed a bowl was in 2017. Kane, before we get to your Smith picks of the week, how crazy is it to think about that when we looked at this at the beginning of the year to now think that both Louisiana and App have a chance at not making it to a bowl game? I think it just gives you a a, a testament and a look at what this conference might look like going forward and how these new teams can shake some things up and how it is hard to truly sustain greatness, especially if you look at the group of five conference and group of five teams. You can see teams year in and year out. And these bigger conferences maybe be in the championship game, but when you have to compete in recruiting and have to make different things work within your program year in and year out and adjust with different coaching changes like you've seen at these programs, it is a little bit harder to win. So it's going to be interesting to watch how these dominoes fall and how the bowl game situations and the championship situations play out in this last week. And I'm super excited to see it for sure. Well, like I said, Louisiana travels to Texas State. Caden, we've reached the part of the program where you tell us your favorite offensive and defensive player of the week. So go ahead and give us your Smith picks of the week. Happy to say I'm pretty concise and confident in my picks this week. We have an honorable mention for both positions and just a a flat-out winner for them. So let's just get right into it. Offensive player of the week. Probably not going to be a surprise to many, but I have to give it to James Madison, quarterback Todd Santeo. 21 for 27. 274 pass yards, four touchdowns, zero interceptions, had the one fumble early in the game, but bounced back from that. And really just the fashion that he did this was the most impressive thing and why he was this pick of the week for me. I think if you're a quarterback and your team is down 20 points going into halftime, that is not an easy burden to take. And he took it to the head, took it and it took matters into his own hands for his offense, quite frankly, and led them and propelled them to this victory. Obviously, talked about the defensive performance and how important that was for their comeback. But Todd Spearhead heading that comeback for them and getting that victory for James Madison was huge this weekend. But my honorable mention, have to give it to Troy running back Kamani Vidal. I mean, 29 carries, 242 yards and two touchdowns on an offensive day where things are not going at all for you in the past game. Really probably won this game because the defense has been so consistent, but the offense has been pretty inconsistent and up and down for this Troy team. But for him to take matters into his own hands, get upon that record and really take up the challenge like I was talking about, going up against a ULM defense that was vulnerable. We were asking ourselves, could Troy possibly have a breakout game as an offense? They couldn't, but he didn't. He was a huge part of how they won. If you look at the defensive side of the ball, Finally get to show a safety some love again. You look at South Alabama safety, Jaden Voice, and we talk about his brother Devin a lot in the past game, but on the defense side of the ball, he had an amazing game, really a masterpiece and a, a dream for a safety. I can tell you that personally with 17 tackles, one and a half TFLs and an interception, he was just all over the place for South Alabama's defense and was a huge part of why they had such a great day against Southern Miss. So kudos to him. But my honorable mention for this week on the defense side of the ball, 
didn't get to nominate an Arc State player at all ever, and I have to use an opportunity if I can do that when I can. So I have to give it to their linebacker, Malik Straker. 14 tackles, two TFLs, and two sacks in a game that was a huge defensive game. And he was just the best defensive player in the game. His team didn't win, but he played a huge role. And anytime you can get some love to Jonesboro in these picks of the week, you're going to do it if you're me. So shout out to those guys. Those are my picks of the week. And hopefully next week we can see some of these names again because that would mean probably see some conference stir up and some different drama going on towards the end of the season. Well, I got to admit, that was probably some of your better picks of the week. I agree with you on most of those. Uh, I felt like all those guys had big games and, and definitely uh, very deserving. It'll be interesting to see uh, how the Sunbelt coaches vote coming out uh, earlier early this week. Uh, well, that'll do it for our Week 12 recap episode. We've made it to the final week of the regular season after 12 weeks. We still don't know our final two teams that will play for the Sunbelt Conference Championship. A quick reminder that we will be back with another episode on Wednesday of this week where we'll feature a soon-to-be-announced athlete from one of the Sunbelt's best teams this season. Thanks so much for listening. We both enjoyed this episode of the Prairie and Smith podcast, and we certainly hope you did too. If you did, take a moment and subscribe to the show on either Apple Podcasts or Spotify so that you'll never miss an episode. Also, consider leaving us a review or a rating. If you like the show, it really helps. Lastly, if you haven't already, follow us on Twitter at Prairie and Smith for all the latest Sunbelt football news and notes. Well, that's goodbye for now. We'll talk to you again soon.